KV Mart stores are rooted in the communities we serve, and we are connected to the land in the same way our customers are. Whether you're an urban farmer, backyard chicken aficionado, traditional rancher, or anything in between, we offer just the right mix of homesteading, outdoor adventure, DIY, yard and garden, outdoor and workwear, husbandry, livestock, and pet supplies. Whether you're a dabbler or all in, we're here to help and strive to offer a range of products that will meet the unique needs of our customers. PV Mart will always be there with the tools, equipment, indoor or outdoor wares, seed or feed, for everyday work, fun, or connecting to the land on a whole new level. For more information, go to pvmart.com. Hi, I'm Ian Sherwood. As a songwriter and musician, I've traveled through countless small towns, heard incredible stories, and witnessed some of the amazing ways in which people in towns and cities across this vast country have woven their lives into the land they live on. It's made me think about the way I interact with my own environment and the natural world, where my family's food comes from, what impact I'm having on the planet, and what we're all leaving behind for our kids to inherit. So now I'm on a mission to learn about how I can tap back into the essence of where we all come from. Today, with so much at our fingertips, it's easy to lose sight of the most important connection we have. Welcome to Connected to the Land. Homesteading is something we've heard a lot about recently. Maybe some of you listening have been homesteaders for years, while others are only recently beginning to think about becoming more self-sufficient. However, homesteading used to be more than just a term to describe a fringe lifestyle. It was simply surviving. Less than 200 years ago, the landscape across Canada was dotted with communities and farms that made do with what was immediately available. They helped each other as a community and learned how to care for and survive off of the land as stewards, knowing that they were just on it for a brief period before leaving it to the next generation. They raised families, animals, crops, built homes, barns, problems solved because they had to, not because they were particularly good at it. They needed to, to survive and provide for their families. In most homesteads across Canada these days, the stakes aren't quite that high. The ethos, however, is the same. Survive off of the land as much as possible and live a life of giving back as much as receiving. I've spoken with folks living off of the land on this podcast before, but as usual, I wanted to know more. So I called up Gareth Martin, a homesteader, YouTuber, and recent transplant to Wolf Island, Ontario, Canada. We discussed homesteading practices in a modern age, raising chickens in suburban Edmonton, and how to deal with grey water on a septic system. Here's a hint. Incinerator toilet. Gareth, thank you so much for joining me on Connected to the Land. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I'm doing not too bad. Not too bad. Um, I'm I'm happy to be talking to you because I, I think uh, for a number of reasons, um, you seem like a really cool guy, but also on top of that, um, homesteading is something that uh, I think a lot of people over the last 20 months or so have, have really taken a little more to heart than maybe they did before the pandemic happened. I know in my home, uh, we definitely have. We've thought more about our own food security and, and how to batten down the hatches and, and, and whatnot. And, and you have, you've done just that and taken it to another level. Um, I wonder if maybe you can just start by telling me where did homesteading start for you? Is this a, a relatively new venture or have you, have you been doing this for a while? I think it's a bit of both. We, we've been growing food for a long time. We always had, um, 
I guess I could start with, we, we lived in Edmonton, Alberta, so we're in a major city and we always grew our own food. We lived on a big plot in city standards, which is mm-hmm. one tenth of an acre. And we grew as much as we could. Um, you know, we tore up the back garden. Um, we tore up the front lawn, which <laughs> oh, wow. made a lot of funny stares from neighbors. Yeah. when He started tearing yeah. up lawns. <laughs> and um, then we just, yeah, when the pandemic hit, it was kind of a, we just like a lot of people, I think have the time to sit down and just kind of where, where are we going with this? Like, what is our food security? Cause we can't grow all our food in, in the city on, on a little lot. And then, and then that kind of came to fruition and we, we did some research and um, yeah, we ended up moving across the country to an Island in Ontario. Uh-huh. And here we are just beginning the homesteading journey uh, and all, and yeah, I didn't even really realize what homesteading was, mm. you know, we just kind of started doing some YouTube videos and, and listening to podcasts. And then in my mind, homesteading was just this old school thing that no one really did anymore. <laughs> like I, okay. I really had no idea. And then there's, once you start finding these people and they're just living these lives that, you know, we kind of dream to live as well. Um, you know, it's inspirational. Huh? So, uh, but you were actually homesteading. You just didn't realize it. I think in a small way, yeah. yeah cause I'm, I, I think some, you know, some of these homesteaders, they, none of them work and they, they have right, the yeah. whole, I think there's levels of homestead. Yeah, of course. That's, that's, so you can just live in a city and grow some food. And I would still consider that homesteading or gardening, but you're still growing your own food and you might not be growing a hundred percent of your food, mm-hmm. but, but you are growing food. So yeah, I think, um, we, we weren't doing it, but, um, now we're now we're in it for full time. Oh <laughs> we're, yeah, we're here. Okay, so how far off the food grid have you made it now? Well, this this year hasn't been. This is actually the first summer we haven't grown food in probably ten years oh. because we we left Edmonton in June, spent a couple of weeks driving across our beautiful country, right, of course, yeah, uh, with our two kids, and um, and then we've just been kind of working on. We bought a really old house, so we're just renovating and and. Um, we didn't want to do too much work to our property because we wanted to kind of see what, what the land's going to do, like where a full year of just not, it's hard, which is really hard to do, trust me, but a full year of just watching the land and seeing, you know, maybe this area floods and, and, and right. whatever. So oh, yeah. it was a hard year of not growing food. We got chickens. That was easy. So we do have 15 chickens now. We're, we're getting some eggs, which, but uh, yeah, that's, that's where we're at right now. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's, I guess in some ways you have an opportunity that not a lot of people have. You're brand new on the land. You can just, nothing has been firmly set in place except for the house that you're living in. You can sort of pick and choose where things are going to go. I guess the flip side to that is if you're living on a farm that has been, handed down generation to generation, all those things have been figured out for you already. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. It's a bit of both. We get, yeah. we guess we, we do get to pick a lot of things, but this used to be an old farm. This used to be an old homestead. Like our house mm-hmm. that we purchased is uh, built in 1842. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's a very old home. So it used to be like the loyalists came here and like somebody it's made of, it's limestone. So it's made of stone. So somebody probably took them 10 years to build this house. Yeah, so right. It used to be a homestead. Yeah. Which is for us kind of cool too. So the, we're still finding places where, you know, yeah, there used to be a garden here. So we're going to put a garden here too next year because 
it, it worked then. We know the soil is good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on top of that, you know, there's things that we'd like to do that we're going to, you know, do in our own way. Yeah. So, you, I mean, you mentioned that this is sort of new, sort of not for you, the idea of homesteading, but taking it to the next level. I mean, where, where did the urge to homestead originally come from? Do you think for yourselves? Um, well, was I there think a tipping was, point, I guess is what I'm asking. It was definitely, we, yeah, we, the urge to homestead. Well, we, we definitely wanted to grow our own food. That was always important to us. Yeah. Year, you know, years ago, it was just, if not grow our own food, healthy, organic, support local we we, you know if we can't grow something we're gonna buy locally and then the urge to homesteading just kind of came i guess just watching youtube videos honestly like we just went down this kind of path and saw all these people who were just living yeah these lives that really appealed to us right and then we just really put and this might have been a year and a half ago where we kind of found this path yeah and then we just kind of jumped on board. Huh. It's what, you know, it always looks shinier on, on the internet than it actually is. It does for sure. It does <laughs> sure for sure. And, figured that out now. And, you know, we, we, we were aware of that. But. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of ironic that uh, it was, it was the internet and technology that actually made you want to become more self-sufficient, you know, watching right. people on YouTube and social media. Um, yeah. So, I mean, well, I, I guess, and this is, you sort of answered this already, but I, I'm going to ask you to maybe look at, at a broader picture and just kind of go step outside yourself and more of the community of homesteaders. I mean, what what is the allure for folks to become more self-sufficient, do you think? Um, is it simply just food security and knowing where your food comes from, or is there something else that you're getting from it? No, there's, there's definitely the community aspect. That's mm, a huge part of it. Right. Um, one of the reasons we moved to, like you said, an island is it's a small community, so... And I'll even back it up back when we yeah. lived in the city. We were in a city, Edmonton, has a million people. When we told up our front yard, people were very, you know, <laughs> what's going on? Why are you doing this? Yeah, like, right. we get manicured lawns, guys, come on. Yeah. But after two or three years, people loved it. Like, mm-hmm. we, it, when we tore up our front yard, that's how we met our community. Yeah. Because people would stop right. by. We had a little basket out front. Like, we were, growing corn we'd give it away we just we met so many people in our community just from that food and we just kind of thought mm-hmm. okay let's uh, we might not be close to people where we are right now um on 10 acres in a rural area but the community is is still there and, and you just got to find them and social media again is it's that's the link it's it's really yeah it's really important you know i've i've talked to a couple of people on this podcast about um, ways in which they prep their own properties in different ways for different reasons. And uh, you're not the first person I've spoken to who has torn up their front lawn to <laughs> to turn it into a place to grow food. And you know what? I, I feel like it's it's kind of the same response that they that they give. It's like they'll they'll do it and they get these side lawn looks from people. Everyone, you know, their neighbors have well manicured lawns, but there is a turning point where. You know, suddenly, it, not only is it a conversation piece if someone's walking their dog by while you're, you know, busy tilling your front yard, but also, you know, like it, people are, are become accepting of it because it's a really easy argument to make. It's like, well, I'm I'm growing food here. This is this is, uh, you know, there's nothing there's nothing wrong. I'm not devaluing your properties by doing this. Is something we should all be considering. And and uh, you know, th- there seems to be less pushback. Def- definitely less than there is positive feedback. 
Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. yeah, I think there's, you know, it's definitely a taboo thing to do is tear up your front lawn. Yeah. Um, but I, I also think, you know, like you, like you just alluded to, people will see that and then they might go in their house and well, just then they start doing some research yeah. and all of a sudden yeah. they're like, like, why are you doing this? And then they go down this path and, yeah. and yeah. So like I, we've been inspired by people that we've found online and, and some people come to us now and say, wow, you you guys have chickens. Like, <laughs> I think we're going to get chickens. Yeah. Like when you hear stuff like that, you know, it's just, it's huge. Right. Yeah, <laughs> it's that's right. Well, big reason for it. Yeah. It's, and it's really seems to be catching on too. Like it is a conversation that, that people are having more and more these days. Um, and they're just more open to it than I feel they were 10, 15 years ago. Definitely. T- I mean, I, I'm a little yeah. bit in it now, especially with this podcast where I, I speak to a lot of folks like yourself, but, but even so just among, you know, I live in a city and, and I definitely see more backyard gardens, uh, popping up in the city and raised beds and whatnot than, uh, than there were just even a few years ago. So it's definitely something that people are thinking about more these days. Yeah. And, and what we're seeing, or at least maybe it's just because I'm more in this realm, but is the backyard chickens. Mm-hmm. Like Edmonton did a pilot project where they allowed 50 houses to just have backyard chickens yeah. up to six, three to six chickens. And then uh, maybe two or three years ago, they said they just opened up to the entire city and you had to pull permits and do follow their rules. But anyone in that city can get, have six chickens in your backyard and that's enough to feed them your compost. You get eggs every day, you know, four to six eggs a day. So it doesn't just eliminate, you know, or it doesn't just get you eggs. It, it creates us sending compost to the landfill. It, there's this whole cycle that, um, you know, it's really interesting to, to think about on a big scale. It's hard to, but it's interesting. Absolutely. And actually, we uh, that's where this whole podcast started, was actually talking to folks who took part in that uh, that study about having backyard hens in, um, in oh, the really? Edmonton area. Yeah, we talked to uh, Dr. Frank Robinson. I think he uh, is a professor at uh, the university, and he's uh, he started that pilot program. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was super interesting. So we've spoken about backyard chickens. I'm excited to talk about your chickens, though. Um, I just, I, I'm fascinated by it. I'm trying to convince my family to let me have a few chickens in the backyard, too. I think the kids would love it. Yeah. Um, why don't we just get right into it? I, let's focus on the chicken coop for a little bit now. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your chickens? Like, I, you said you have 15. Uh, how big do you have to have yeah. your coop to have 15 hens in your backyard? So I guess we can, there's two, right? Because so mm-hmm. maybe if you want to focus on the urban chickens, cause it's, I think it's going to sure. be different. We were in a cold, very cold climate in Edmonton. Right. Um, yeah. You had them first in, in Alberta. But, yeah. And then, and then when you moved, yeah. you continue to have them. Yeah. So maybe we'll just, we'll, we'll start with Alberta and just, so we were only allowed six and I, I can't remember the numbers, um, but it was a couple square feet per chicken. So the coop I built might've been, you know, four feet by four by four, maybe four by five. Like they don't need a ton of, of area. Right. And we would let them free range every day when we're home. Um, and yeah, I guess the coop may all speak to the build of it, but we, we, because there's certain regulations we had to have an, and we're in a cold climate, we had to have an insulated coop. We had to have a heater in there, whether we wanted to or not. 
And, um, you know, there's certain mm. things you, you just really need to do. Uh, just, just to walk back a little bit, you said uh, free range during the day. Uh, exactly how free, like you lived in the city, so exactly how free range could your chickens be? And how far did they go and yeah. did they always come home? Well, we, we we only let them in the backyard, which it was fenced off. Oh, okay. Uh, but it was pro- we had a big backyard, so maybe 20 by, or so maybe 30 by 40 feet. Okay. So not, you know, pretty big. big. We actually, before we moved, we were, we were prepared to put up some electric fencing in our front yard and just let them, let them loose there because they're, they don't, we don't just let them free range to eat. They till up the ground, right. they fertilize, they, they do a lot more than just, um, you know, produce eggs like they're, they're working machines. So let, let them work for you if you can. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, how much did you know about this before you caught the chickens? Like I'm, you sound like a, uh, an individual who does, does his research, but, uh, but still how much of this is discovering in the moment? hundred percent of it. Pretty okay. much. All right. <laughs> yeah, no, we, we, we definitely, we do our research or uh, yes, I, I'm very, uh, I need to know what's going on. So yes, right. I did a ton of research. Um, I'm handy. So I, you know, I was able to build my own coop the, the way we wanted mm-hmm. to. Yeah. Um, but you really need to, you really need to just kind of jump in Yeah. because if you can kind of procrastinate forever and just not get chickens and find, you can, if you want to find ways, reasons to not get chickens, you can find them. Yeah. Right. But you know, they're, they're, it's, it's the pros definitely outweigh the cons. Uh, so you started with six and this is more, so urban chickens, um, six in a backyard, uh, the, the winterizing the coop. Is there anything specific you have to think about there? Or does it sound, or is it as simple as it, as it sounds like I'm, I'm sort of beating around the, the question here, because I, I know that there are certain kinds of birds that just fare better in Canadian climates and that that might be one of the most important things to consider. Because if, even if you have a, a winterized coop, there are some birds that just aren't going to do very well. Is that right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. You definitely want um, some hardy breeds. Um, we had some Orpingtons, there's Rhode Island Reds, um, there's a few others. So you'd have to just do your research. But, you know, even when we're saying winterized coop, like the coop is still, if it's minus 25 outside, it's, it's still very cold in there. Yeah. It's not like a, they're not living in a hotel. No. Um, but, but really the key is, yes, the hardy breeds and then moisture is really bad. Right. Yeah. Avoid moisture at all costs. So they need proper ventilation in the coop. They need to be blocked from the wind. Mm-hmm. Uh, they need to be able to, to stay protected. Right. Right. So how much of the coop actually changes from summer to the winter? Because it sounds like having proper ventilation and, and prepping from the wind and, and things like that, that's, that goes into the initial build. Uh, does there, is there much um, preparation that actually goes into uh, preparing the, I'm sorry, I'm wording this poorly, but preparing the coop from season to season or just once it's set, it's ready to go and you're basically just cleaning it out every now and then. And then when the winter comes, the birds will kind of take care of themselves and, and nest comfortably. No, I would say you definitely need to put some thought into it. So we, we designed ours. Um, the entire thing was insulated, which I think was a requirement, but okay. um, we had ours. So in the winter time, it can be completely sealed up except for two openings on the top of the coop, right. which would allow some cross flow air. And then um, as long as that air is not coming into contact with your, with your chicken. So okay. picture them down low and the air up high, creating that ventilation. And then in the summertime, 
um, I had it designed so we could open up a bunch of hatches. So we'd have like hardware cloth, like a steel mesh, and we could open up two windows on the back and then some on the front. Um, just because you know it's going to get hot in there, right? right? So that's how we we would leave it all summer. Yeah, and having that airflow is important, correct? Because uh, chickens are yeah, they shouldn't very, be a smelly yeah. bird. Like they're actually the the coop should be fairly odorless, if I'm not mistaken. And then uh, you need that ventilation to have it air out. Yeah, yeah, you definitely yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. So there's and there's a few different ways to do it. Like we we did a method called the deep litter method, oh, yeah, yeah, which is basically have you heard of it i have only by uh watching your youtube channel but i'd love i'd love a deeper explanation okay. yeah and, and i'm by no means an expert but it worked well for us so we we and i'm excited actually for where we are now because our, our climate is um way warmer we're about four growing seasons warmer so i think we'll be able to use this method all year round but basically the way it works is you you, it's a deep bedding. So you'll add, you know, a couple inches of bedding, the chickens poop, you stir it up and it basically creates a compost mm -hmm. and it can actually like most compost give off some heat and help maintain heat inside of a coop. Right. Um, it's only going to work to a certain degree. If, if it's minus 30 outside, things just are frozen. That's just how it works. Um, but it actually, it did work for us. And even though it wasn't composting in the, in the winter, we still had like 18 inches of bedding material, which was just allowed that extra layer of insulation. And then we would clean out in the spring and continue that process. And that, that, that bedding would also be thrown into our garden as, All right. you know, some of the best fertilizer you can get. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. That's definitely a homesteading tip right there. Um, I would imagine yeah. that there's a lot of things that people don't think about when they're thinking of getting backyard chickens and hens, especially in an urban setting. Um, you know, I guess you really don't want to find yourself in February with the chickens cozying up to the fire inside the house because you weren't prepared yeah. in advance. Um, yeah. you know, can you tell me a bit, I mean, I know you've alluded or you've, you've suggested that you go to YouTube and you go to social media to find out a lot of your information. Are there other places that people can go to for, for as a resource to, to find out more about this, your YouTube channel? Yeah, the best would, pro yeah, the best would probably, cause it's hard. It's hard because you can look up cold heart, you know, um, winter chicken coops, but yeah, winters are different everywhere as we know, That's right, even yeah. just in Canada. But then when you get into the state, there's just so many different winters. So if there's a local, any, any local is always the best. If you can, right, if you're in a yeah. major city, sometimes there might, there's usually an organization that, um, or if not a Facebook group, that would just be able to give you the best, um, local information. Mm -hmm. I would say. Yeah. 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 They even sell chicken coops at the, uh, you know, the local hardware store here in Nova Scotia. So I know people are doing more yeah, of it. Do. Yeah. So finding, I guess, finding someone in your neighborhood or close to you that maybe has already learned a few lessons and uh, learning from someone who has that firsthand experience is probably the best way. Yeah. With the Edmonton Urban, uh, Urban Hen program, there's actually right. like a mentorship. So when you, when you start your coop, you were supposed to get a mentorship from somebody who has been doing it and, you know, they're going to help you in a big way, yeah. the, the pros and cons or, or the ins and outs of, of raising these chickens. But it, yeah. but it is really easy. I mean, if you, okay. if you have a dog or a cat, I think you can raise chickens. It's, oh, it, wow. it really okay. is. Yeah. 
they know what they're doing. Yeah, I would say. Uh, so you started off with six in Edmonton, and then as you say, you you moved across the country. You know, living in Ontario on an island. Just you, you have fifteen now. Um, yeah, that's quite a you know quite an enlargement. Yeah. What uh, what what prompted that? You just six was too few. And now you now you want you want more eggs or more comedy or what's uh Yeah, yeah. I think it's just more eggs. Yeah, I mean, right. Six. We're a family family of four, um, but we can eat six eight eggs a day if you start making some some quiche or something. Yeah, but right. It's just a great way to get food. So mm-hmm. uh, we thought fifteen was a good number because so we have a one rooster. Right. So 14 laying hens and then a rooster. And, um, yeah, I think it's just, it was just cause they're not going to lay in the prime. We might be getting 13, 14 eggs a day, but as the winter comes on, it's going to drop to maybe six eggs a day Okay. because they're, they're going to go into molting and they're going to just, that's just how they, how they, how they kind of work. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was just a number that we decided that, uh, and the other, and we can bring this back to the community is we give a ton of eggs away. So mm. we wanted to be able to do that. When people come over, you send them home with a six fresh eggs. Like it's a great way to make friends on a new island. Yeah, sure. right. How many people are on the island with you? So the, the island's population is about a thousand people in this, in the winter. And then it, it goes up a little bit in the summer because of, um, summer cottages it's a fairly big island like it's, yeah. it's about thirty thousand acres okay all right mostly homesteaders yeah i uh, know there's it's there's a little village but then there's there's a lot of big agriculture here right um but about 100 years ago there used to be 3,500 people here so like almost triple almost quadruple the population wow. and apparently everyone it was all homesteads it was all like 50 acre 200 acre homestead yeah. there were cheese factories and milk and you know, it was kind of the, they make it sound like the good old days. I'm sure it was a hard time. Yeah, but, of course. Yeah. Um, we're, we're hoping to create one of those homesteads here now. So, yeah. And, uh, you know, I urge everyone to go and check out your, your YouTube channel. I mean, you, you really show a slice of, of your life where they're not just necessarily talking about this one specific thing, but you'll actually walk through your yard with your kids and your dogs and your chicken and, and your partner that mm-hmm. you guys are all, you know, getting it all happening together. It's really, it's really quite engaging and, and heartwarming too, yeah. to watch you guys go through all the struggles of moving across the country and, uh, you know, having to find a way to actually get your stuff on the Island and I'm not going to give too much away. Go watch <laughs> the YouTube channel. Hilarity ensues and, uh, you know, but, uh, I, I want to stay on the chickens for just a little while longer because, uh, I, I do find them to be really engaging characters. Like they're, like you mentioned, like if you have a cat or a dog, you can raise chickens. I mean, what kind of similarities are there between, like, do you, do you think of them as pets or is this more an animal husbandry kind of venture for you? Like you're raising them for eggs and not for meat, I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah. I think you need to, you need to start off with knowing what they're going to be raised for. So when we got our six chickens in the city, there was no, like we didn't have meat in mind. It was just, right. it was just, these are for eggs and that's it. And they all had names. Our kids named them. Okay. Um, I mean, a big reason for it is we did it for our kids. I mean, yeah. they loved, 
the chickens. It was just hmm. such a great way uh, for them to be involved and collect the eggs every every day. Uh, but you know, I guess when I say they're good, like similar to raising a cat or a dog, it's a lot of people just think it's this huge commitment, and every animal needs attention and yes it needs a commitment but we still went on vacation we still did whatever it is we wanted we would take it two weeks and go camping oh, okay that wasn't an issue especially if you're in a major city because you're going to have neighbors who are interested in this and they yeah. would have most of the time have no problem driving to your house to make sure there's water and collect fresh eggs every day it's it's usually pretty easy to find someone to do that yeah okay and uh, on an island, may, maybe a little harder? I think it's going to be a little harder. Yeah. We haven't uh, come across that yet. Right. Um, but, um, yeah, that's going to be a uh, down the road. Right. <laughs> See what we can do. Um, yeah, we do have some family here yeah. and, and stuff. But. You had a fence when you were living in Edmonton. Um, I don't uh, just, you know, watching you guys on your property didn't look like you had a fence there. And you're right next to a cornfield which is not yours, which I'm sure the chickens appreciate, but maybe your neighbor doesn't appreciate so much. Um, have, uh, have you had any, what, what do your neighbors think of their new neighbors and you guys moving in with, uh, with your homesteading practices? Yeah. Well, we only have about one neighbor that's anywhere near us and okay. every neighbor we've met so far is awesome. Right. The community has just accepted us with open arms and, um, you know, because it is a farming community, uh, a few chickens running around a cornfield is not an issue versus the city, I guess, running around, <laughs> running around the streets or, um, they're very, very familiar with yeah. chickens and, and other, other livestock. Right. Um, indirectly, you know, your kids are, you mentioned your kids love having the chickens around. I mean, they're very much a part of everything that you're doing. Um, and I wonder you know, indirectly, they're they're learning about food security, being responsible for another animal's well-being. Um, this is important, isn't it? Yeah. What kind of lessons do you think your kids are learning as they as they grow up on the farm on the homestead? Well, I think they. You you said it. It's knowing the biggest one for us right now is knowing where your food comes from, but it's also knowing where it comes from and being involved in making, collecting, harvesting it. Um, you know, we try to get our oldest to, to collect the eggs every morning. Mm-hmm. Just you collect the eggs. If you want breakfast, go collect some eggs. And, <laughs> you know, there's, there's definitely challenges that come along with that. It doesn't always happen. Yeah. Sometimes all the eggs don't make it back the way we'd <laughs> like them to. But, you know, these are all our valuable lessons that I think, yeah. uh, you know, will hang with them for their entire lives. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if maybe, I mean, there are definitely life lessons, even if they don't end up becoming homesteaders themselves or, or living on a farm, there were still uh, lessons of empathy and, and just sort of the appreciation of the land that they're on, uh, the idea of responsibility. I mean, I guess all these things kind of factor into it, don't they? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. We definitely try to, you know, we, we understand that this land is, although it might, we might own it in, in quotations, not our land and we're just borrowing it for this time we're here. Right. Uh, um, and my wife, she actually ran a, uh, a forest school in Edmonton and oh, yeah. she was a big part of, yeah, she, uh, can definitely speak more to that. She's mm-hmm. not here right now, obviously, but, um, her connection with the land, with the children and the indigenous people 
once have been there before. Um, that's definitely her area of expertise and she's teaching me as much as she's teaching our kids to just really respect this land as, as much as we can. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's really, really cool. We, we talked a little while ago on the podcast about the idea of succession and, uh, farms that, you know, that may or may not be passed down from generation to generation. And this idea of ownership is something that comes up every now and then. And, and I always find it to be kind of a tricky subject, you know, the idea of, and I think you just, you just put it really well, where we're not necessarily the owners of the land. We just sort of, we have a piece of paper that might say that we do, and we're kind of responsible for it for a period of time while we're around, but it's going to be here long after we're gone. And we're kind of just borrowing it while we're here. And I think that that's a really, um, important way of looking at it, you know, and it really changes the perspective yeah. of how we treat the land and, and, and what we use it for. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it is. It's huge. I mean, we try, you know, something we try to instill in our children is we're here to not just take from the land, but give back to the land as well. Yeah. So if we're growing, whatever we're growing out of the land, we need to make sure we're putting more back into it than what we're taking. And when we leave here, it's, it's a better land than, than what it was when we, when we arrived. Yeah. 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 So it's, uh, it's hard to, hard for them to wrap their heads around <laughs> that sometimes, but yeah, you know, we're working on it. Yeah. Well, you start the conversation early and then it just becomes, you know, part of their vocabulary as they get older, you know, yeah. part of homesteading yeah. and, and raising chickens, uh, also sort of on that topic, uh, there's the responsibility that comes with animal husbandry. I mean, these are, these are creatures who are reliant on you. And if they're sick, you need to take care of them. I mean, was this something that you considered before taking on raising hens or did you just kind of have to roll with it when it happened and then realize like, Oh, actually this is, this is more than just eggs. This is a, a bigger responsibility. Um, yeah, more so, I guess, lesson learned the hard way is probably the best way to put that. It's right. Yeah. Something you, kind of think about but you know we when we first got our chickens um, we got six one no sorry two died oh. within the first like couple days oh wow and then our son went out and uh he opened to collect eggs and our dog came out and killed three more oh dear so uh. here we are our first week of owning chickens and five of our six chickens are dead so um that was a conversation that we had to have with our children. It was also a situation where we're like, well, what do, what do we do with a dead chicken? Like, <laughs> right. Like we just didn't, you don't think of that. You're just like, Hey, we just got chicken. They're not going to. And then, so, you know, we found a farmer and we took him to his farm and he, and he fed them to the pigs or took care of them. But yeah, right. Yeah. It's definitely something you need to consider. It's just, it's, it is hard to wrap your head around it sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and sort of a difficult, maybe difficult thing to talk about with your kids, but at the same time, it's directly in keeping with the lessons that, and teachings that your wife is having with your children as well, that this is just, this is a part of the responsibility of, of doing what we're doing. And even if we don't necessarily have a homestead, we're still part of that chain at some point, maybe just a little farther removed. And, you know, when you're doing... Yeah. When you're, when you're homesteading and raising food the way that you are, you just have that direct connection to it and you're able to kind of understand. And I think that's really, I think that's really important. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I mean, next, next summer we, we plan on raising chicken just for meat. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be a 
a whole nother thing. Yeah, because, yeah, absolutely. You know, we'll, we'll explain to our children now, like, you know, this, this chicken you're eating is used to be like one of our chickens. And then he's like, well, I'm not going to eat it. And yeah, so, so they're, right. they're slowly wrapping their end, you know, five and two, they can only comprehend so much, but, um, you know, we're excited for next year to, to raise our own chickens mm-hmm. and butcher them here. And whether the children want to be a part of that or not, we'll give them the opportunity. We won't force them, but, yeah. um, it'll be, I think it'll be a really valuable lesson. Uh, Gareth, you started up your YouTube channel, um, and I've, I've already talked a, a bunch about it and I mentioned it a few times on this podcast. Um, yeah. Why, why did, why did you do that? Is there something about spreading the knowledge that's important to you? Why, why start a YouTube channel about this? I think there's a couple of reasons. Um, one, we just wanted to document everything, if, mm-hmm. if not just for ourselves and our family, just something to to look back on ten years from now you know, watch these videos that are edited and, you know, uh, look into the past of our lives and and our journey. Um, But there's, you know, with my wife being a teacher and creating the school, there's definitely the educational part of it. It's just a way to get the word out there. When we first started the YouTube channel, we didn't really, it was in our mind, but it wasn't as fast as it came into fruition with moving into the country. We were just kind of in this urban setting doing that type of thing. And, kind of hopefully create some knowledge uh, with that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's the, the, the children, the, the knowledge or the educational aspect. And, and, you know, to be honest, if there's a financial gain, if, if you can make a living off doing this or make some money that can help do projects on the homestead, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's a bonus for sure. Yeah. I mean, you're sort of, uh, you're a handy guy, as you mentioned, and so much of what you're doing on the homestead, both the one in Edmonton and now the one that you're on the island as well, you're doing yourself. Um, there's videos of you tiling your bathroom, installing the in-floor heating, <laughs> you know, cleaning the chicken coop you built yourself, yeah. and wiring in a, a water capture system. And yeah. I mean, it can look really daunting to someone who is maybe just thinking about starting this. Uh I mean, what do you have? Uh, do you have some advice for those who who want to get started on homesteading, but maybe don't consider themselves to be as capable right out of the box as you are? Yeah, I mean, just just try it. You know, I've, failure is okay. Yeah, failure is not a bad thing. If you try to build something and it doesn't work, you, you will learn from it. Um, and if there's just tasks that you're not able to do, then find someone who can do them. Yeah. You know, I, I do all these tasks because I trust me, they're not perfect <laughs> the way they turn out sometimes, but um, I do learn from them and I enjoy the process of, of learning from them. So yeah, I would say just don't be scared and just jump in. And, you know, I think people are way more capable than we sometimes give ourselves credit for. Yeah. Start small, maybe just start small. Yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, don't, and, and if it's on a homesteading level, it's, it's, buy a buy an old shed and just you know you don't have to build this coop with windows and the whole just buy something else simple structure and just add some pieces to it Mm -hmm. you know chickens don't need to they're very simple creatures they're not picky so um, don't go overboard and just build it simple and and just look out for the animal's well-being which is most important right um I just one one last question and this is uh, you know more for me than I, I think but I hope people I also get something <laughs> out of this um 
you, I, I love the videos of you working on your, your bathroom because that's something that I've just come out the other end of myself, so to speak. And, yeah. uh, and you were installing something called an incinerator toilet. Right. I don't, can you tell me about that? Cause, uh, For I'm sure. fascinated. Yeah. Yeah. I've been, I've been meaning to do a video on it and it's, uh, so we, you know, we're on an Island surrounded by water and believe it or not, we can still have a water problem. Right. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of ironic, but, uh, we're on well water here. So we have a really old dug well and a really old septic field that we, it needs, it will need to be replacing. So we, we made the decision to purchase an incinerating toilet, um, which uses no water. It hmm. takes all of your human waste, number ones and number twos, and it does what it says. It incinerates it. It burns it, uh, turns it into ash. And that ash can, we'll just throw it outside on the garden, wherever we choose. Wow. So um, is it, yeah, it's a pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Is it something that you, that you plug in or does it transport the waste somehow outside of the house or is it all, how, how does it work? Nope. Yeah. So there's, you can get them that run on propane or electric. Oh, okay. We chose electric because we were thinking of solar panels down the road. Right. Yeah. Uh, but the way it works is you just do your business like you usually would, um, does an incinerating pot process. And then the ash is at the bottom of the toilet. Oh, yeah. Um, it's just like this little pot, which you pull out and you empty. And we've really only emptied it probably once every six weeks. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and there's other options. So there's also a composting toilet, which mm -hmm. is, yeah. um, you, you do your business. Yeah. I'm not familiar, but mm -hmm. they, um, we chose to go this route just because of, I guess it was just a little bit more money, but it was just easier to deal with. Wow. Yeah. Well, I look forward to that yeah. video. <laughs> yeah. That install yeah. went. Yeah. It's, 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 it was, it was a crazy expensive toilet, right. but, um, <laughs> You know, it solves the problem of, yeah. of water and it yeah. solves the problem of dealing with waste. Probably not yeah. one you want the dog to be trying to sniff around or, or drink the water, quote unquote, out of. No. No. Uh, no. And and this is, sorry. Yeah. But it sounds like these crazy things, but this should almost be a standard mm -hmm. in most homes. Like now we, our waste is separated. So all of our other water, our gray water, our showers, and just, we can then collect that and use that to water our garden and our orchard and, oh, right. and things along those lines. So um, it's kind of a, a bigger picture thing. Yeah. Well, that's fascinating. And a very good point. Uh, Gareth, this was great. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. Oh, thanks a lot for having me. And thanks for doing the podcast. It's, uh, you know, that's guys like, uh, or programs like this that get the word out there and hopefully more people get inspired. Connected to the Land is a PV Industries podcast produced by Village Sound, and I'm your host, Ian Sherwood. A special thanks to this episode's sponsor, PV Mart, the 100% Canadian-owned, down-to-earth retail chain. If you enjoyed this program, you should consider subscribing. Also, you can check us out at connectedtotheland.info, our affiliated website and a great resource for homesteading, farming, and all things connected to the land. Thanks for listening.